The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the ninth chapter. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. The Gospel of the Lord. Some of you have asked me if I got another tattoo since I saw you last. I did not. I have a temporary tattoo here that I got at the Pride Festival yesterday from a young man named Zayden, who is not a member of our congregation. He's 10. I promised him that I would keep it uh, during worship, which he w did not believe that I would do. Uh, but I did that, so uh, temporary tattoo of some sort of dinosaur from uh, Zayden. <laughs> it was exactly the one I didn't want him to choose, so. Uh, on that note, I'm fairly certain that this, what you're about to hear, is the cheesiest sermon image I've used to date in my life, uh, but I'm sticking with it because I really love it. We're going to talk today about baseball. Those of you who know me realize this is very risky, uh, but I feel confident because we're not talking about rules and regulations today, we're talking about imagery, and many of you know imagery is where I live. Over Memorial Day weekend, we watched a little seven-year-old boy named Oliver. His mom manages at Big Grove up in Solon. When she got pregnant with Oliver, Doug and I vowed to help her in whatever way we could. So Ollie has practically grown up at our house. He has his toys. He knows where he sleeps. He helps load the dishwasher, even though my own sons do not. And this last time, Ollie helped me make a blueberry pie. It's important to note he has long wavy red hair, just like my middle son, Jacob. So if you saw my Instagram or Facebook post of the two sitting side by side, you will see why I had to make note of this simply because it was so stinking adorable. All three of our sons were home 
over Memorial Day weekend, so we took the golf cart up to Penn Meadows Park close to our home so they could play baseball with Oliver. They pitched to him from mounds they pitched from when they were little, like almost 10 years ago when they were six, and seven, and eight. Oliver ran the same bases that they once ran. He sat in the same dugout where they used to sit. As they pitched to him and yelled words of encouragement to him and swear words at one another, I saw memories flash before my face of them running bases, striking out, wandering around the outfield chasing butterflies, high-fiving their teammates. I swear I saw ghosts that day. <clears throat> my ears perked up when they yelled one particular thing to Oliver, the same thing I yelled to each one of my boys for years when they were up to bat, and that is this. Don't be afraid of the ball. And I realized what an incredibly stupid thing to say that is. Human existence depends on us being afraid of balls flying at our heads at high speeds. Human existence depends on us running from cheetahs. Human existence depends on us not tempting wild buffalo all because we want the perfect selfie. To tell a child at home plate to not be afraid of the ball is like telling a firefighter to not be afraid of fire. Human instinct seeks one thing, to ensure the existence of our race. Don't be afraid of the ball. My kids learned to be pretty good baseball players. So clearly a person can override the human instinct to yield to fear. Christian has learned to run in sub-zero temperatures. Jacob has learned to run headlong into football players at least as big as he is. Philip has learned to deal with hockey pucks flying at his head. People earn millions of dollars by learning to not be afraid of the ball, even though their genetic makeup tells them to be. Instead, they have learned to dig their heels in and face it. In fact, humans have learned to excel at this. Not all humans have learned to excel at baseball, myself included, shocking though that might be. So this is where my metaphor more or less ends, while the image remains true. Metaphorically speaking, can we learn to not be afraid of the ball? The answer is yes. Jesus throws a ball at us in today's gospel. Jesus gathers his disciples together and gives them authority and gives them power. He says to them, cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out evil. The ball that Jesus throws at them is life. Either flinch when it comes at you or engage with power and authority. He says your instincts will tell you to flinch and run away because sickness and death and evil are scary to be around, but I command you to engage these things and to not be afraid. In fact, not only does Jesus command his disciples to engage, he commands them to master these things and subdue them. 
to have authority and power over disease, death, and evil. Over and over in the Gospels, Jesus says, do not be afraid. It's because over and over again, we need to be reminded to not be afraid when the ball is pitched to us. In the entire Bible, either do not be afraid or do not fear appears 365 times. One for each day of the year. Every single day, we need to be reminded to not flinch, not run away, when our instinct tells us to. Every single day, life is thrown at us. And human instinct tells us one thing, Jesus tells us another. Instinct urges us to seek out safe places. Jesus commands us to go precisely to those places that are scary and risky and even dangerous. In January of 2017, with five of my friends, I went to Washington, D.C. for the first Women's March. After purchasing plane tickets, I started to worry about the crowds, you know, and mass shootings and safety and all of that. As two million women gathered and marched and protested on the streets of D.C., I found myself nervously looking to the rooftops, feeling like two million fish in a barrel. And I saw armed police pacing the buildings. I recalled a conversation I'd had with Christian a few days prior to departure. I had said to him, you know, I'm starting to worry about safety and mass shootings. And he said, you know, but if that happens, doesn't it happen with you trying to do something to change things instead of doing nothing and changing nothing? He was 13 at the time. When the ball is pitched to us, what will we do? Flinch? Maybe. I inwardly flinch every time I step into the pulpit because I hear voices telling me I don't belong here. But I've learned to not be afraid of that ball. Inwardly, I flinch every time I preach words to you because I have received my fair share of anger and indignation and offense from people when they hear that God's love is in fact for all people, not just for some. Inwardly I flinch, but I have learned to override it. Largely I have learned to override it because of the encouragement, love, and support of many people, mostly my husband Doug. When we step up to the plate, that is to say, when life is thrown at us, Jesus begs us to not be afraid, gives us authority and power to master and subdue evil in all of its forms, racism, homophobia, ageism, chauvinism, colonialism, egoism. We have the God-given authority to subdue and cast out all of these expressions of evil, so why don't we use it? because we are afraid. And with good reason, I guess. There is a long list of people who have died speaking out in the name of injustice. I'm a child in the 90s. One of my favorite songs when I was in high school, from 1988 actually, uh, was a song called Cult of Personality by Living Color. There's a line in this song that says, when a leader speaks, that leader dies. There is risk. Today, more than ever, perhaps due to the prevalence of guns in speaking out in the name of good when life is thrown at you. But you know, 
the disciples were at risk as well. After Jesus was crucified, they were guilty by association. Things didn't end well for most of them. And yet Jesus accomplished a hell of a lot with and through them. And they were only 12. How many are we today? I don't know. I can't count. I'm not a math person. We're more than 12. How much good could be accomplished through the people in this room if we but dared to trust in the power that Jesus gives to us? Granted, among the 12 listed in today's gospel, they, there are a few that did some pretty nasty things like denying and betraying Jesus, but they still tried their best and played their parts. They didn't shrink away from their respective roles, even if that meant history would forever damn them. But we are baptized people and have been marked with the cross of Christ forever in life and in death. So baptized people have nothing but freedom. We have the freedom to claim the power that Jesus gives us to advocate for the good, to amend past wrongs of colonialism and racism and homophobia, we have the freedom to make amends and reparations, however clumsy and fumbling. We have the power to go to those places that are scary because those are places we have made scary. Places where people are shackled, shoved onto reservations or crammed into slums. We have the freedom to celebrate ones whom we once oppressed and persecuted, like our friends of color and our friends in the LGBTQIA community. It is our duty and delight to go to those places Jesus commands us, even if we are a bit afraid. Yesterday at the Pride Festival, there were the usual protesters. They come every year with their signs that say, God hates fags. I usually spend time hanging around that space, not engaging protesters, but engaging the people. Yesterday, I handed out popsicles to the ones yelling at him and quietly said, you know, he doesn't speak for me. He doesn't speak for all Christians. God loves you. Sometimes spaces like that are super scary. But we have power and authority from Jesus to meet hatred with grace. The church's days of judgment and alienation are done. They have to be, because otherwise the church will die, because those are ways of death. Now are the days of grace and welcome. Now are the days of Christ, of grace, of life. Now is the time to not be afraid, to risk asking questions, to risk forging new friendships, to risk marching and protesting. The only thing to really be afraid of is doing nothing, is stepping up to the plate and not trying at all, not even attempting a swing, just standing there while you staringly strike out. There's no excuse for that because we are baptized and joined to Jesus Christ who gives us his power and authority to cast out disease and death and evil and all of its manifestations. Jesus is plenty familiar with risky and scary places and walks with us all of our steps 
all of our days. I was glad I saw ghosts that day on Memorial Day weekend as I watched a pudgy and sweaty red-headed Oliver run the bases. I was glad to remember days when my boys stood at the plate, trembling, listening to voices behind them coach them to not be afraid. I'm glad to be a part of teaching them courage that overrides human instinct to flinch and flee when the ball is pitched at you. I hope I've had, had a hand in teaching them courage and how to hide the flinch and instead be a presence of courage and advocacy and love. As I watched Ollie pant and run, I was glad I saw ghosts that day because it reminded me of a resilience that comes from God to keep getting up and dusting yourself off to keep swinging. In the office, in the classroom, on the ped mall, in a cafe, on an airplane, the pitches keep coming. Life keeps presenting opportunities to use the power that Jesus gives us to stand for the good, to defend the vulnerable, to advocate for the oppressed, to ally with one's once enemies. Jesus would not send us out into the world if he didn't trust us to do the work that we are fully equipped to do. The power and authority that Jesus gives us is life-changing and indeed life-saving. When the ball comes at you, friends, do not flinch, do not be afraid, it will not destroy you. What are we afraid of? Dying and inheriting the promise of eternal life? We are not called to play it safe. We are called to step up to the plate and swing with all of our strength, with all of our might. Here ends the first and probably only baseball-inspired sermon of my preaching career. Amen.